You are listening to Think Theory Radio. 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 Hello and welcome to Think Theory Radio, the show that brings you topics outside the mainstream realm of thought and ideas to make you think. And I'm your host, Damien Perdue, your guide on this weird scientifical ride of audio delights. Oh yeah. And... Right. It's time for Weird Science and Tales to Astonish, Astonish, Astonish. It's actually the first uh, show of the year. I was out of town last week, so figure kick off the new year with some weird science. And Paul is off today, so we got Henry joining us. Hey, what's up, everyone? And yeah, I have compiled a myriad of weird and strange and fascinating stories and theories and discoveries in the realms of science Ooh. <laughs> uh, we got uh, lab grown black holes uh, new species of dolphins we got uh, biogel armors we got green lights we got uh, tiny new genes humans are still evolving it's all kind of crazy stuff sounds crazy what the heck <laughs> yeah how do you, like, grow a black hole in a lab? Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> well, we'll start off with that one. I guess I got this from uh, space.com. And Ooh. it says, uh, lab-grown black hole may prove Stephen Hawking's most challenging theory right. And uh, basically what they did, um, they created a lab-grown black hole analog to test one of his most famous theories. And it actually be- behaves just how he predicted uh, the experiment was created by using a single file chain of atoms to simulate the event horizon of a black hole. And that has added further evidence to Hawking's theory that black holes should emit a faint glow of radiation from virtual particles randomly popping into existence near their boundaries. Uh, the researchers found that the most most of the light particles or photons should be produced around the uh, black hole's edges. And the team who did this, uh, they published their findings uh, in the Physical Review Research, um, if you want to find it. But you could just look up lab-grown uh, black hole. That's really crazy. That reminds me of the, um, have you heard about that? Like, I think it's an artificial sun or something that was... Oh, China's yeah, making... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I talked, to, I, I did cover that on the, on the show. <laughs> yeah, they're actually uh, artificial sun, and I think they're trying to make a uh, a fake moon as well. Oh wow! We yeah. got the whole solar system yeah. in the lab. Yeah, I think they're trying to make a fake moon to light up cities at night. Interesting, Maybe something like that. Mm-hmm. There's just going to be all kind of fake stuff. It's yeah. everything's going to be fake planets and suns and moons <laughs> and AI generated <laughs> movies and. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. I was just reading. I forget if it was Google or not, but they're working on, uh, you can basically record your voice and they can create a whole simulated like dialogue. <laughs> That's crazy. With your voice. I am, add that with deep fake. And, exactly. Like, oh my gosh, everything is just going to be like insane mm-hmm. in the next few years. Yeah. You're not going to know what's what. Yeah. <laughs> like people already don't, like are having a really hard time like determining what's real and fake on the internet. I can mm-hmm. only imagine this is going to make everything way mm-hmm. worse. I know. Yeah. That's why you have to get outside people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interact in public. <laughs> At least for now, you can tell that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know until the androids start walking around. Yeah, until we're actually plugged in. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the uh, they made this black hole, and I guess it's proving Hawking and Einstein's theories correct. So that's kind of cool. Wow. What a bunch of smart people. Yeah, a lot smarter than me. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's get into something uh, kind of interesting do you know what a time crystal is uh no what what's the deal with that so it's a new kind of crystals discovered in uh 2016 and it's basically they're well a, a normal crystal the oscillating internal structure would repeat itself in space mm-hmm. right but this actually does it in time interesting so the the comparison is kind of like uh 
if you had a block or a thing of, of jello, mm-hmm. I know when you move the plate, it doesn't, the jello doesn't correspond to your movement. Mm. It moves on its own. It kind of moves in its own way. Right. Yeah. yeah and yeah. it creates its own frequency. Interesting. Yeah. So that's what the time, the time crystal oscillates in time and not space. Interesting. If that makes any sense. I don't know. Kind of. <laughs> it's a little above my pay grade, but still sounds super fascinating. But in this story uh, that I got from uh, IFL Science, is a physicist found a time crystal inside a child's toy. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, uh, basically they found, which kind of messes with their theory. You know, this is all, still they don't really fully understand time crystals. Right. For one. Same. Thank God. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But they basically, you know, those... um, those children's kind of science toys where you can make your own crystals at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I guess there's one, uh, it's a mono-ammonium phosphate, and it created this time crystal out of this the child's toy, out of this, like, take-home crystal maker set. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so these, uh, I was trying to figure Here's a quote from one of them. Uh, we realized that just finding the DTC signature, uh, which is the discrete time crystal, didn't necessarily prove that the system had a quantum memory of how it came to be, said Yale graduate student Robert Blum, a co-author of the studies. Uh, the team then pushed their investigation further. This spurred us to try a time crystal echo, which revealed the hidden coherence or quantum order within the system. Uh, lead author Jared Rovney, also a uh, Yale graduate student, explained. Time crystals could potentially improve well-established technologies like atomic clocks, mm, okay. nanometers, uh, you know, quantum computers and stuff like that. Right. So, yeah. So they were able to do it with the children's toy. Interesting. <laughs> so would you, like, be able to sync up, like, a bunch of different networks with this and keep everything, like, kind of running at the same time or something like that? Is I believe it? so, yeah. Okay. It, it's something um, with the quantum computers, the qubits. Right. Which, like, are much faster processing speeds than normal computers. Mm-hmm. So the time crystals, that's what they'll be able to do. Oh, Great. interesting. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, they're talking about uh, having processing speeds within like minutes of what a normal computer would do in a year really yeah that's that's always the thing that astonishes me the most is like the specifically with technology like how fast everything just gets Mm -hmm. like when i was a kid like you had to wait like upwards of like a minute to load like like youtube (laughs) video or something like that and everything would buffer you'd have to wait you know wait for everything to catch up but now like oh yeah i can just hop on my phone everything loads up immediately and if it doesn't then i get frustrated it's really uh it's really interesting (laughs) well yeah then don't go back to my my time back when it was like you try to download something you just have to let it download for the whole day oh yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) just go do some other stuff and come back yeah just come back the next day and be like now yeah now you can download a movie on your phone and yeah it's kind of like uh, I always relate that stuff to waiting for an elevator. Mm. Where, you know, you kind of like you're saying your impatience grows. Yeah, you know, and the speed of the elevator depending on the building you're in. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Uh, all right, where should we go? I guess we'll stick uh, since we're talking about quantum stuff. Yeah. There's a this this falls into the files of a new kind of theory, and I got this from Big Think. Uh, your brain, the concept is your brain isn't a computer, it's actually a quantum field. Ooh, okay. And basically the the concept, so it's it's called quantum cognition. Mm-hmm. And a team of researchers has determined that while our choices and beliefs don't often make sense or fit a pattern or, uh, you know, on a macro level, at a quantum level, but at a quantum level, they can be predicted with actual, like, surprising accuracy. Interesting. So it's it's kind of so in particle physics you have uh, the observation effect, which mm-hmm. is basically it's either a particle or a wave, kind of depending on the observer. Gotcha. And whatever form it takes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in quantum cognition theory, it opens up the fields of psychology and neuroscience, and understanding the mind is not a linear linear computer, but more like an elegant universe. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of uh, about how your decision making 
is similar to the way observation of a uh, uh, particles react. So it's like some it's like somebody asks you a question, mm-hmm. and you have these kind of opposing views and opposing thoughts. Like in this article, it says uh, if you ask somebody normally, you say, you know, hey, how are you doing? People say like, oh, I'm good. And you say, well, how did that meeting you had go? And they say, oh, well, I don't know, you know. I was kind of nervous or, you know, it was kind of not good. So it's how, you know, so how does your brain determine that you, you're you good, mm-hmm. but you're not good about the meeting? Right. Yeah. Right. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think it does. So it's that kind of paradox, mm-hmm. um, which they're trying to say that is basically what your mind is doing, that it's not, it's not just uh, black and white. Right. There's that's kind of, int- it reminds me of um, how a lot of people will differentiate like our brains versus that of like higher intelligence animals mm-hmm. i.e like we're able to think of concepts like in a d- separate room something's going to happen in the future and we yeah. can like visualize this whereas right that's like kind of what separates us from like the next tier of like mm-hmm. dof- dolphins octopuses like elephants all the other like really intelligent animals um in the kingdom yeah 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 i, I often wonder about dolphins like their level of intelligence or how they perceive. Cause you know, we, we, we think of consciousness as the, uh, the whole, you know, I think therefore I am right. Recognizing yourself as a conscious being. Now dolphins do have, uh, concepts. They, well, they, they have their own names. Mm. Scientists have found out that, you know, through the, through the, through their echoes that they can, the way they communicate that they actually have given names to each other. That's crazy. So in what I would think is that kind of, lends to the thought that they understand the idea of that they are an individual, that they are a conscious being. Right. But maybe it doesn't. Maybe they just yeah. give each other names. It's super hard to know. Yeah. So then you get, deep, you know, you can go deeper into that and say, okay, well, what are dolphins? Th- do dolphins have a perception of God? Right. Yeah. You know, do they have their own version of God? Like, yeah. To what level does their, like, thinking go to? Mm-hmm. You know, because they're obviously aware of humans they're aware of other animals they right. interact with humans i mean the, the kind of human dolphin interaction goes back thousands of years oh really oh yeah if you go to like ancient greece there's there's stories myths of dolphin saving humans oh, wow. and kind of these interactions and uh the dogon tribe in africa talks about being taught by dolphins and whales oh wow yeah so there's these connections um and you can tell obviously through even you know at like ocean world or whatever the place is the, the way dolphins interact with humans right yeah you know so, so they know that we're here mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like what you're saying like what's outside that room it's like what's outside the water they know they're humans right they have to perceive like especially like cities on the coast and stuff like that yeah 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 you know but i wonder what where do they take that right in their own minds that's super interesting do they, do they even care yeah <laughs> honestly they just think we're some other kind of dolphin yeah it's like whatever they're ugly <laughs> i don't have to think about them <laughs> yeah there was a i don't want to get too far into that but there was uh and i talked about on the show before but there was back i think it was in the 70s and it was nasa funded mm. they did experiments with uh dolphins and lsd oh like interesting giving, yeah yeah <laughs> that's funny classic cia in the 50s doing mm-hmm. all their cool stuff yep uh yeah well you know what speaking of dolphins i guess we'll we'll do this one uh do this last one before the break i got this from newsweek a new type of dolphin has evolved in the pacific ocean oh really Mm -hmm. interesting yep life just keeps emerging keeps keeps on keeping on Mm -hmm. Uh, a new species of common bottlenose dolphins found only in tropical regions of the eastern pacific ocean has been identified by researchers uh, an analysis of several specimens conducted by Anna Costa, a marine researcher with the Rosenstiel School of Marine Atmospheric and Earth Science at the University of Miami, and colleagues found that the new subspecies is smaller than other common bottlenose dolphins. And uh, the new subspecies is called either the ETP, which is Eastern Tropical Pacific, or if you want to get scientific, it's the Terciops truncatus nuaunu. Wow, just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I probably didn't even spell, you know, pronounce it right. But I, literally, <laughs> no one, literally no one will know. Yeah. The dolphins will know. Yeah, it's true, true, true. <laughs> Can't offend them. They're intelligent enough to know, I guess. Uh, and it says the common bottlenose dolphins are usually found in temperate, subtropical, and tropical oceans around the world. And there's about 
uh, global population, around 600,000 of them. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, yeah. And these dolphins, uh, which are highly intelligent, we were speaking about, they grow to about six and a half to 13 feet in length. Man, <laughs> that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah, and also there's a... Uh, in talking about the connections between dolphins and humans in Brazil, there's tribes that believe the dolphins were gods. They have these pink dolphins in the rivers there. Oh yeah. I think I've heard about that. Species. Yeah. They're pretty cool looking and they're very smart. I mean, they like kind of like saw this whole special about uh, animals in the rainforest and mm-hmm. in Brazil and how different ones have adapted to the human in, in incursions into their areas. Right, right, the dolphins right. have adapted really well because they know how to kind of play to the humans. Yeah, true. You know, and, people just throw them food yeah they're just like all right just like oh just jump around in the water and people give us free food (laughs) just look cute and then yeah Yeah. profit (laughs) exactly but i guess there's like old paintings like tribal paintings of these pink dolphins kind of worshipped as gods um that's super fascinating yeah so they're still evolving Mm -hmm. so we'll see what happens actually you know the dolphins came from land they were land mammals oh were they also years ago yeah they like left the water then decided you know what water is where it's at we're gonna evolve back there Mm -hmm. (laughs) them and whales they used to have uh they found fossils where they're actually had yeah they have like four legs knees or whatever yeah Yeah, you can see it in their like skeletal structure or whatever Mm -hmm. it's super crazy it is like little 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 tiny little things there yeah it is weird I always like wonder about that, like what made them decide, yeah, or was it a decision? I'm probably yeah, not, but that's like that's what always really fascinates me with like all these decisions made like millions of years ago. Like mm-hmm. what what made these creatures decide to do it, and then like how do they like do it enough times to like actually evolve that way? Right, it's super super crazy. Yeah, and why only those two? Yeah, like what what led them to think that oh this is like going back in the ocean is where it's at. We can mm-hmm. thrive and survive a lot better here and like perpetuate our species to like today you know so yes yeah. i mean obviously they had it right you know yeah no. <laughs> they're not down there polluting the ocean yeah well <laughs> that we know of that we know of right it's true maybe yeah. they're creating things that we don't know about <laughs> yes. like sub uh, you know sub uh underwater cities of dolphins right that we don't even know so deep down in the Mariana Trench yeah <laughs> all those spooky unexplored places <laughs> and actually like uh any you know because anything alien I love, but the, mm-hmm. the Dogon tribe believe that actually the dolphins and whales came from outer space. They oh. came from the Sirius star system. Interesting. And they came to Earth. They taught the humans everything, and then they said, All right, "We're going back in the water." Yeah, peace. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> Call us if you need us. Right. <laughs> thanks for all the fish. So long, and thanks for all the fish. Yeah. <laughs> Which I have a, a, another corresponding story to that reference. Ooh, okay, but. Then we'll take a quick break, Mm -hmm. and when we come back, uh, we'll get into that and what numbers, what numbers are the universe? What's the magic number of the universe? And if you know Mm -hmm. the reference, you might know the number. I think we'll see. We'll see. We'll be back. Welcome back to Think Theory Radio. This is Damien, and uh, today, since this is uh, the first show of the year, decided why not do the first weird science of the year? (laughs) Oh, yeah. And uh, we've already talked about new... New species of dolphins, uh, alien dolphins. <laughs> I do have a, a slight alien story, too, that I'll get to. Ooh, perfect. Um, but what I teased before the break, so if you got the reference to what movie that was, which was Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, mm-hmm. in that it's the, you know, the magic number, the universe is... It's 52, right? 42. 42. Ugh. Close. So close. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> But according to researchers and uh, this article from Big Think, 21 centimeters is the magic length for the universe, which I've thought is interesting because it's half of 42. Oh, okay. 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 Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So it says basically, you know, in our universe, quantum transitions are the governing rule behind every nuclear, atomic, and molecular phenomenon. 
Mm-hmm. And I guess the uh, it's there's a, a special transition occurs in hydrogen. So you have the most common atom of all is, is hydrogen in the universe. Mm-hmm. And a special transition occurs in hydrogen that produces light of about the size of your hand, which is 21 centimeters. Interesting. Right? Or eight and a quarter inch in wavelength. Right. For so Americans. That, yeah. <laughs> and that's a magic length. And it actually, they believe, could someday unlock secrets of the universe. Ooh. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, and basically, because uh, li- it, when it's light in the universe, wavelength is the one property that you can use to, and you can count on to reveal how the light was created. Right, 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 right. Because it's just such an, uh, like an exact thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, so they've, they've figured out that 21 centimeters is this supposed magic length that will help them figure out other crazy things in the universe. Man. Uh, it says we can measure this light with great enough sensitivity. We can actually hope to someday map out the locations and densities of gas clouds in the universe. Thanks to the science of 21 centimeter astronomy. <laughs> it's I'm super curious how stuff like this is going to play a part in like space colonization or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whenever that finally becomes something that's feasible for yeah. us, you know, because it definitely will happen. Oh, for sure. For uh, sure. Um but yeah, it's 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 super crazy to just wonder how like life is gonna like change in not that long a time. I feel like yeah, I mean it's it's interesting that I mean I think when I was a kid, I don't think I could fathom that. I mean, I kind of always believed that at this point in my life, yeah, I would be living on other planets, but right. I don't think I really could fathom that it's actually going to happen. Yeah, that's it's more the, of like a fantasy. Exactly. You're just like, oh, that would be fun, like flying cars, LOL. But like, mm-hmm. it's like when it's like actually kind of feasible in your own life, you're like, oh, that's actually kind of insane. Yeah. Yeah. Like that actually we might be alive when there are people living on Mars. Yeah. That's <laughs> insane to me. I don't know if you've watched the show, The Expanse. It's a I sci-fi have show. It's really good, but it's... It, 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 there's a you know it's not super far in the future so right. it's basically we've colonized the solar system okay uh, but the interesting part is like the politics in it so it's like right. we're still the same people you know so it's yeah. like there's all these like political ambitions and, right and you know like uh wars between mars and earth yeah because i feel like that's also super inevitable as well because mm-hmm. like when you think of like how like you know, England colonized the U.S. and the yeah. U.S. like broke off, became its own thing. Like, I imagine that's definitely going to be the case with like something like Mars or wherever. You know, right? You, yeah, if they're on another planet, yeah, like that's they, they're they, going to eventually just kind of create make, their own laws, yeah, and government, have their own autonomy, and kind of function mm-hmm. as they need to. You know, there is a weird uh, so Werner von Braun, who was the uh, ex-Nazi scientist, one of the founders of NASA. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He wrote several books on colonizing Mars. Interesting. And one was a uh, fiction story. Wait. Nonfiction story. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he wrote one that was a, like a manual how to do it. You know? uh-huh. And then he wrote a nonfiction story about colonizing Mars. And the the president of Mars or the person that was in charge, the name was Elon. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> I just threw that out there. Um, and, oh, this is, here's a good one because, well, they're all good. But uh, those who listen to the show, they know I love any kind of connection between kind of modern science and ancient uh, wisdom or art or anything related to the past. Mm-hmm. And I got this from fizz.org, but it's, uh, there's a peculiar protected structure that links Viking knots with quantum vortices. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, scientists have shown how three vortices can be linked in a way that prevents them from being dismantled. The structure of the links resembles a pattern used by Vikings and other ancient cultures, although the study focused on vortices in a special form of matter known as the Bose-Einstein condensate. condensate. The findings have implications for quantum computing, particle physics, and other fields. Postdoctoral researcher Tony Anala uses strings and water vortices to explain the phenomenon. If you make a link structure out of, say, three unbroken strings in a circle, you can't unravel it because the string can't go through another string. Mm-hmm. If, on the other hand, the same circular structure is made in water, the water vortices can collide 
and merge if they are not protected. Interesting. In a Bose-Einstein condensate, the link structure is somewhere between the two, says Anala. And the researchers mathematically demonstrate the existence of a structure of linked vortices that cannot break apart because of their fundamental properties. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. The structure is conceptually similar to the bro, uh, Boromian, Boromine rings, I think that's how you say it. Oh, okay. You know what I'm talking about? I think so, yeah. I mean, you've seen... The, it looks... It, they look very similar also to the Celtic knots. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're like three of the Olympic rings. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fascinating. That kind of reminds me of a... I might be getting it wrong, but like a Mobius strip or whatever, how it's like one mm-hmm. of those like kind of like mathematical whatever things where it's just like one side always kind of... Yeah, almost kind of like the infinity yeah. symbol in a way. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, yeah... So I like that. It says, well, the structure is similar to these rings, a pattern of three interlinked circles, which has been widely used symbolism as a coat of arms. A Viking symbol associated with Odin has three triangles interlocked in a similar way. Right. If one of the circles or triangles is removed, the entire pattern dissolves because the remaining two are not directly connected. <laughs> not. I get it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and I guess just like everything else, these findings might help quantum computing be more accurate. Ooh. That's where we're going. It's yeah. All quantum computing. It's all about more efficiency in that <laughs> regard. But it always, uh, you know, I always think about that, like these concepts. Um, now, obviously, it's just geometry. and mm-hmm. um, But there is some, I think there's some kind of like underlying, I think the math that's within us, it's like we, our mind just puts it out there, whether it's an artistic forms or in science. Right. You know, and I think even the ancients, they had a connection to it, whether or not they knew what it eventually would lead to or what it actually meant yeah but they still like had a good sense of foresight in that regard Mm -hmm. there's like this is special and yeah i think it's kind of like inherent in our dna yeah it's just some you know just the math is within us true geometry of the universe especially back then because it's not like like if you're into math like you can dedicate your whole life to it kind of Mm -hmm. and like you got nothing no real distractions Mm -hmm. um so you just like figure it out somehow like yeah, they always, didn't have to pay rent. So. Exactly. <laughs> like, that's the thing that always astonished me, because, like, I am very much, like, grew up in the internet age and, like, mm-hmm. like only know that. So, like, the thought of, like, not having, like, the ability to just look up anything at a moment's notice, I'm just right. like, how do you even live <laughs> before that? That's crazy to me. <laughs> that is true. I know uh, with me, even though I grew up without all that stuff, it's it's I've had it for so long, I've been conditioned to having it that... I don't remember what it was like not to have it. Um, all right, let's see. We got quantum vortices. Where else should we go? Oh, what about humans still evolving? And I got this from uh, Science Alert. Does the caller want to talk about the uh, quantum vortices or... Yeah, Just in, they yeah. want to talk about some really cool, weird science thing that came about during the pandemic. Okay, let's go to them before I move on. Hey, this is uh, Tim and Lombard. Hey, what's up, Tim? We want to talk about one really wonderful thing that's come out of the out of this COVID nineteen pandemic. Okay. What what uh, what was going on before the pandemic is they were working on these arm these RMNA vaccines, right? Mm-hmm. And what they were using them for was to try and to find a way to cure cancer. Mm-hmm. And HIV, so too, I believe. Right? So they, were kind of, they were kind of just kind of working on it, working on it, but nobody's really putting a lot of money into it. And then all of a sudden, the COVID-19 pandemic hits, and these companies get flooded with money. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now they got all this, all this money. They they now have gone to they're in they're in uh, cl- I think they're in class two trials now for RMA RMNA vaccines for vac- for cancer. So the way this works is you go to the doctor. Oh crap! I got cancer. So then they go and they take a biopsy of your cancer. Mm-hmm. They get the RM they get the RMNA from that cancer mRNA. cell mRNA mRNA can- from the cancer cells right, and then they convert that into a vaccine. And then over the course of a couple of months, you get nine different immunizations to train your body's immunization system or immune system, I should say, your immune system to destroy that cancer. Hmm. 
Interesting. And this is all this has all been turbocharged because of all this money that poured in from the COVID nineteen vaccine. Yeah, and I believe a, a lot of the heavy research was also uh, they were working on mRNA vaccines for AIDS, HIV, and AIDS as well before the pandemic. That's crazy. But that's I mean. I mean, the pen, it's been horrible. All the time people have died from this disease, and that's still going on in China really bad right now. I mean, they're getting hammered. Yeah. yeah. But this might be something amazing that comes out of this pandemic. And I just want to, once you're in science, I thought I'd bring this one up and talk to you about this one real quick. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'm all for it. I mean, I've, I've known so many people that have passed away from cancer. And, you know, it would be interesting to see. I hope that, uh, I, you know, my only fear is that, you know, because of the, the structure of the health, the health system in this country and, you know, the pharmaceutical industry and the greed that it would, mm-hmm. you know, it would be like for rich people only. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, well, the thing is that, Chemo, chemotherapy is very expensive. Yeah, mm, true. And making a vaccine is incredibly inexpensive. True, true. So the, so the idea is that you would, this would eliminate chemotherapy. You would, you would, you'd stop chemotherapy for cancer, and you'd convert to just a, a series of immunizations for your cancer. Well, I hope you're right, Tim. Yeah. I mean, I'm right there. I like the positive attitude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's infectious. It's as much as everything one, else. One good, one good thing that came out of this horrible tragedy, which isn't still over yet. True, yeah. true. Well, I hope that it, I hope that goes in the direction that you're, you're thinking. And uh, once they do actually determine that it works, I will talk about it again. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. You guys take care. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Tim. And uh, actually, he gave me a good segue because we're talking about uh, cancer, which, you know, affects the genes of humans, right? right? What about tiny new genes appearing in human DNA? Oh, is this like microplastics? No, this actually shows we're still evolving. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's actually, it's not microplastics, which I have talked about on the show before. Mm -hmm. I don't know if if you've seen that Cronen, the new Cronenberg movie, uh, Crimes of the Future. Oh, man. That there's something about that. I'm not going to. Oh, perfect. It's too too early for, although I did, I think, spoil it on a previous show, but anyway. (laughs) (laughs) There's something about plastics and human evolution and that. But no, this is, uh, I got this from Science Alert. It's actually um, researchers from Biomedical Sciences Research Center uh, Fleming in Greece and Trinity College, Dublin, Ireland, have identified 155 genes in our genome that emerged from small, non-coding sections of DNA. Many appear to play a critical role in our biology, revealing how completely novel genes can rapidly evolve to become essential. And it says that new genes typically arise through well-known mechanisms like duplication events, where our genetic machinery accidentally produces copies of pre-existing genes that can end up having new functions over time. Interesting. But these 155 microgenes pinpointed in the study seem to have appeared from nowhere, (laughs) from thin air. Oh, man. Uh, Yeah, it says uh, instructions of DNA that didn't previously contain the instructions that our bodies use to build molecules. Interesting. And since the proteins these new genes are thought to encode would be incredibly tiny, these DNA sequences are sequences are hard to find and difficult to study, and that's why usually they're overlooked in research. Mm. Um, there's a thing called junk DNA, which has been uh, a, a, a term that's been around for a while, and they're thinking that a lot of what we perceived as junk DNA could actually be new genes that, oh. are, that are forming and. We just, that we just don't know about. We just couldn't find them because they're so tiny. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So is this like a really recent uh, discovery that the new... Like, mm-hmm. all, oh, wow. Yeah, totally new. Um, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, the project started in 2017, mm-hmm. and but this is a very recent discovery. So we'll see where that goes. So we're still evolving, yeah. people. Can't is... wait to get my third arm. <laughs> I need a new brain. Yeah, oh, man. <laughs> And knees. Oh, my God. Uh, some knees, new knees. Jeans. Yeah. I need a new back we, already. Like, use our mind to power the body. To- yeah. Just to, like, will it to do mm-hmm. it. That's, like, borderline how I feel every time I wake up anyways. Like- <laughs> <laughs> so, hopefully, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see where that goes. Uh, let's see. When we did dolphins, mm-hmm. why don't we go to octopuses? Ooh. 
our favorite cephalopod. That's mm-hmm. the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, octopuses are pretty cool. Do you ever see uh, my my teacher octopus, or is it my octopus teacher? I don't think so. It's a documentary. It's really good. Ooh. Yeah, this guy was a documentary maker, just started studying this this octopus for a year. Oh, that's they, like, like, became friends. Oh, that's so. awesome. It's really cool. It's going to make you cry, though. Oh, man. Right now. Oh, man. I'm ready. I <laughs> uh, got this from Neuroscience News. Um, octopuses may link evolution of complex life to genetic dark matter. Oh. Dun, 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 dun. Um, an international team led by researchers at Dartmouth College and Max Telbrook Center in Germany reported in journal Science Advances that octopuses are the first known invertebrates to contain a, a high number of gene-regulating molecules known as microRNAs. As oh. Tim just talked about. There we go. See, it all, it all corresponds. Yeah. It all relates. It's a very natural seg- segue. <laughs> right. uh, the genes of two octopus species show an increase in microRNAs, which are linked to the development of advanced cells with specific functions over evolutionary time that has so far only been found in humans, mammals, and other vertebrates. When combined with the known intelligence of octopuses, the findings provide crucial support for the theory that microRNAs are key to the evolution of intelligent life. Mm. That was interesting. Yeah, it's uh, Kevin Peterson said, a Dartmouth professor of biological sciences. Uh, the nervous system of octopus and squids evolved independently of vertebrates. Yet the prevalence of microRNAs in both octopus and vertebrates suggests a common role for the molecules in advanced cognition. And microRNAs are known as the dark matter of the animal genome. They don't make protein, but they regulate the expression of proteins, Peterson said, referring to the hypothetical form of matter that thinks that the universe is made of. Right. That good stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty interesting. Um, I definitely think there's something, like we were talking about with dolphins. Mm-hmm. I feel like there with dolphins and octopus, octopuses, if we can figure out how to communicate with them, mm-hmm. they'll like have knowledge to tell us. That's, just, how, that's how I feel with all those like really cool like intelligent animals, like mm-hmm. corvids or yeah. anything like that. Oh yeah, like if we just could like somehow like break down that barrier of like language with them, like, yeah. it would just be fascinating. <laughs> there was a meme uh, that I saw recently, and it was one you know part had a human looking at a like a a rhino, uh, rhinoceros or not a rhinoceros like a the adult, the the dinosaur, the the rhinoceros looking right. dinosaur, triceratops. Yeah, there yeah. you go. And he's and the human's saying, "Oh, you're my favorite kind of dinosaur." And then the dinosaur just grunts. <laughs> but then the next the next panel is a corvid, mm-hmm. and it's like highly advanced future corvid, and it's talking to a human. It's like, "Oh, you're my favorite extinct animal." And then the human's like, "Thanks. Wait, what?" <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was pretty good. Oh, man. I had uh, a friend who, like, read somewhere that if you, like, just go somewhere consistently enough and bring, like, food, like, Corvettes will kind of eventually, like, become your friends yeah. in quotes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man, that's, like, actually so cool. I would love to just, like, have, like, a random friend that just <laughs> flies yeah. to me and yeah. gives me random trinkets that it finds and, you know. Yeah, and, can and, and they, can, uh, they can recognize faces. Yeah. And they can tell each other. So if you did something good for them, mm-hmm. they'll tell each other, like, hey, this dude's cool. Hell yeah. But if you, like, threw a rock at them, mm-hmm. they'll tell everybody, like, hey, get this dude. He's evil. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. So they have that cognition. They also, they mourn their dead. Mm. And they do kind of, like, ceremonial stuff. They're, yeah. That's crazy. They're highly intelligent. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I can't, I don't think I can transition from that to anything. <laughs> <laughs> All the natural segues left. <laughs> right. But. Hey. Since we're talking about weird, strange life, there. Mm-hmm. What about aliens and stuff? Hey, there we go. Yeah, but actually, you know what? We, we got to take a break. Oh yeah, true. Got to pay the bills. So, got to pay the bills. We'll be back with more Think Theory Radio and Weird Science right after this. to Think Theory Radio. Uh, before the break, I teased alien stories. So let's get right to it. I got two of them. Um, 
One is, I got this from Vice, and it's that Mars very likely hosted subterranean alien life and may still, Ooh. scientists Spooky. say, uh, Mars very likely habitable to life more than 3.7 billion years ago. Oh, man. Just and, yeah. Just, you know, not that long ago. <laughs> According to a new study that presents a tantalizing glimpse of how microbial aliens could have emerged and survived on the red planet and where we might be able to find signs of them. Um, there's abundant evidence that this world was warmer, wetter, and more welcoming to life in the past. And well, there's no concrete evidence that life has ever existed on Mars, scientists have speculated that microbial organisms called methanogens, uh, which are among the most ancient life forms on Earth, could have been well-suited to conditions on early Mars. Mm. Methanogens derive energy from hydrogen and carbon dioxide, which are available on ancient Mars, and they release methane as a waste product. Now, scientists led by Boris Sautere, a biologist at the Institut de Biologie de l'École Normale Supérieure wow. in France. <laughs> I feel like I was just there. <laughs> I, I speak fake French. Oh, that's better than mine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they've presented a first-of-a-kind study that assesses the viability of hydrogen-eating methanogens, methanogens on early Mars and speculate about the survival of any descendants of these hypothetical organisms in the present day. Um, the team discovered that subsurface uh, habitability was very likely and that biomass productivity could have been as high as in the early Earth's ocean. Uh, the results support the exciting prospect that life may commonly arise on other worlds. We evaluated the, habilita uh, the habitability of Mars and we evaluated the influence that, is, that this biosphere that could have been similar to the primitive terrestrial biosphere would have had on the Martian climate. And we were surprised, Sautery told Motherboard and call. What did not surprise us was the fact that we found Mars to be likely habitable. We had an expedition of that based on previous works. What was surprising was the fact that when we assumed that a biosphere inhabited Mars, the climatic effects of the biosphere were opposite of Earth. Instead of warming the planet and consolidating the planetary habit habitability, this biosphere would instead cool it down dramatically, Degrading the habit habitability. <laughs> Say that word ten times fast uh, of the planet. So basically, now you have um, you know, Mars is a very cold planet, right? It's the opposite kind of uh, extinction event. Yeah, that's what's happening here. Yeah, which kind of lends to a whole different theory on you know life and yeah. survival and that's crazy. habitability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the duality of our planets. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the second alien story. Ooh, it's a very alien-filled week. Oh yeah. Uh, new scientist says that LIGO, which is the uh, Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, which okay. is the uh, observatory that discovered gravity waves oh, a couple wow. years ago. Um, that they're able to detect alien warp drives using gravitational waves. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So if aliens were to make spacecraft, spacecraft as massive as Jupiter or ones that use warp drives, we may be able to detect them using the ripples they produce in space-time. That's fascinating. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, gravitational waves are ripples in space-time formed when a massive object moves around, so if there are any extraterrestrials driving gigantic spacecraft around our galaxy, LIGO uh, could potentially detect them. Gianni Martir at Applied Physics Research Institute New York and his colleagues calculated how large such a craft would have to be and how fast it would have to. Um, hold on, where's the other? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Well, we had those quantum computers that you're talking about. Exactly, earlier. right. Quantum computers, gravitational waves, and we might be able to detect yeah. alien warp drives. Yeah. And avert dead air. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, all right, let's see. Well, we still got time for some more. Mm, oh, this one's kind of cool. I got this uh, also from New Scientist a biogel armor. That can stop a supersonic projectile in its tracks. Oh. 
That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, a protein found in human cells has been repurposed to make a material that forms when it is struck by a projectile, capturing the object intact. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, our cells contain a protein called talon that helps them sense and navigate their local environment in the body by changing structure in response to external forces. Mm-hmm. Benjamin Galt and his colleagues at the University of Kent in the UK have made a talon-based gel that reforms after it. They're able to shoot a bullet and possibly stop it in its tracks with this new biogel armor. That'd be crazy. Mm-hmm. Except when the uh, androids start walking around. Yeah, exactly. Their whole body's made out of it. And they're just like, well, shoot. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of shot ourselves in the foot there a little Mm -hmm. bit. It's when the robots take over. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Oh, here we go. We'll stay with technology. Mm -hmm. And another possibly dooming technology. It depends which which side you're on. Yeah, how optimistic we are Mm -hmm. feeling in the moment. And also, this also lends into uh, the... uh, Conspiracy theory uh, realm a little bit. Perfect. I got this from Futurism. A startup says it's it's a startup says it started releasing (laughs) chemical into atmosphere to dim the sun. Interesting. Just makes me think (laughs) of uh, Montgomery Burns trying to block out the sun (laughs) in the Simpsons. (laughs) Like I don't really understand the like point of that at this moment, but I'm you know maybe there's some cool reason that we need the sun dimmed. Well, for climate. Oh, okay. uh, change right yeah um, gotcha gotcha that's the supposedly the purpose uh, it gotcha. says a small environmental startup called make sunsets has started injecting sulfur dioxide particles into the stratosphere in an effort to ever so slightly cool the planet interesting um now this is a it's provocative but it's unproven right. method um, the Washington Post reports the company's CEO and founder, Luke Eisman, released six-foot helium balloons filled with sulfur dioxide over Baja, California, and Mexico last year. The goal was to have the balloons release sulfur dioxide particles at high altitudes, reflecting the sun's heating rays back into space. That's basically kind of creating like a mirror. Interesting. Oh, know, okay, with gotcha. With all these particles. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it's interesting that like this is something they're doing when this is like what like chemtrail conspiracy theorists yeah, have been talking yeah, about for years. That's, that's actually that's what really doing. true. That's so funny. <laughs> it's kind of like, do you really want to do that? And I know Bill Gates was talking about doing a similar project. Oh, really? Which is, you know, kind of even yeah, more feeding into that. <laughs> exactly. <It's> like, <laughs> not that he cares. Really. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, according to MIT Technology Review, the stunt despite its tiny scale and unsophisticated methodology, likely marked the first time anyone has actually attempted such a feat that we know of. Mm, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh, founder, Eisman, says, we joke slash not joke that this is partly a company and partly a cult. <laughs> what the heck? Mm. It's a crazy statement. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see if that works or not and where that leads. I don't know. Yeah. Fingers crossed, I guess. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't come back to bite us and make everything actually exceptionally worse. Yeah, exactly. And I don't really know, you know, because it doesn't really explain how, how would you determine if that even worked on such a small scale? Yeah, that's the thing, too. Yeah. Like, that's an issue with a lot of these, like, environmental issues is, mm-hmm. like, it's so not localized to like where everything's kind of being like where it's most being affected by. So yeah. it's hard. That's like why a lot of the people like don't care as much about it. You mm-hmm. know, cause it's like, uh, you know, it doesn't really affect me specifically. So right. Why should I sacrifice like X amount of whatever? Yeah. You know, to, Brain cells on it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got, uh, could probably do, yeah, might too. I could probably do, I can do at least one more. All right. I either got a tiny flicker in your eyes opens a window to your private thoughts Ooh. or green light exposure may help reduce pain and headaches. Ooh. Let's do the the window to your inner thoughts. To your soul. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I got this from Science Alert. It says that when we are shown two options, our eyes tend to flick from one to the other and back again several times as we deliberate on the pros and cons of each. Researchers at John Hopkins University have found that the speed with which our eyes dart between options gives away our true preference and predicts the ultimate decision we will make. Interesting. This quick eye movement is called a saccade. 
Uh, have you heard that one? Another I mean, it, like my mind immediately goes to like your circadian rhythm or whatever. Oh yeah, it's probably not the same thing at all. Yep. But yeah, similar. I route. think that's circadian. I think it's uh, saccade. Okay, S a c c a d e. Yeah, classic dyslexia just coming to oh, mind so again. <laughs> I, I probably don't even pronounce it right. That's ah, <laughs> yeah. uh, That's basically what allows you to read. And your focus travels abruptly from word to word, fixating briefly on some words before moving on to construct meaning from a block of text. Interesting. And kind of eyes bouncing around looking at the words and form. You know how when, you know how they could show you like a sentence and the, the words are misspelled, but you can right, still read it? Yeah, it's like, like you don't even realize that it's happening or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, saccades actually take place within a few hundred milliseconds. Interesting. And it also happens during uh, REM when you're asleep. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. And uh, it says, unlike your arms or legs, the speed of eye, movement, eye movements is almost totally involuntary, says Colin Corbish, a mechanical, mechanical engineer at University of Colorado and lead author of the study. It's a much more direct measurement of these unconscious processes happening in your brain, he says. Mm. Man, I'm just going to be thinking about this all the rest of the day. <laughs> People like, know what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. Just like when someone tells you like to not focus on your breath or whatever, and then you can't help but like, yeah. like oh no, this automated process is now feeling manual, and that's just right. messing with my brain way too much. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess they used a high-speed camera to track the eye movements uh, with uh, 22 study participants, and it took a few seconds to consider the symbolic representations of their options. Initially, the skates to either option were similarly vigorous, says Allah Ahmed, a mechanical engineer. Uh, then, as time passed, that vigor increased, and the increased even faster for the option they eventually chose. We discovered an accessible measurement that will t- tell you, in only a few seconds, not just what you prefer, but how much you prefer it. Dun, dun, dun. This also wow. kind of goes into, there's the whole, and I, we've got to run out of time, but um, about free will and the concept that your mind is actually making decisions before you make them. Right. So there really is like, there, that free will doesn't exist. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's kind so of like how, like, when a rock, like, falls down a mountainside, like, it seems like a very random thing, but mm-hmm. actually it's the only option due to physics, like, the way it hits exactly. everything, you know? Yeah, there is no random choices in the universe. Yeah. It all just, it all, you could take that rock and roll it back up the hill all the way back to to the origin and the Big Bang and the first singularity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, uh, well we got to wrap it up. It's oh, already man. time. End of the show. I want to thanks for everybody for listening and thanks for Tim calling in. Thanks, Henry, for holding it down today. Yeah, yeah. And we'll be back again next week and every Saturday.